Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Two wins, but perhaps not the easiest of matches for Manchester City fans to watch as Pep Guardiola's side took three points from Goodison and then took control of their Champions League group. Now, it should be a podcast that we can play with a straight bat, but there was a few curveballs in the shape of injuries, a resilient Everton, and even more VAR nonsense. Also on this week's show, we'll be taking a look at some of the players who had two spells at City, hearing how the likes of Sean Wright Phillips and Paul Dickhoff ended up leaving the club and then returning a few years later. We'll also be looking ahead to Sunday's match with Wolves and taking your questions in Ask the Panel, so let's get underway. I'm your host, David Mooney. With me in the studio this week is Gold.com's Jonathan Smith. Hello. And City fan and blogger Richard Burns. Hi. Are you both well? Good week? Yeah. yeah. Very good. Excellent. Richard, you're not... I did, John spoke, so you didn't answer. Um, he's answered for me. Mine's also been very good. Thank excellent. You. Excellent. Now, uh, there's only one real place to start in terms of talking points for this week. And I didn't want to do it so early again after having done it so much earlier in the season. But VAR... Handball, penalty on Gundogan, penalty on Aguero. Why, John, were none of these overturned? I haven't got an answer for you to that. The, the strange thing is, is we seem to have two different thresholds for Premier League and for Champions League, um, particularly with handballs. But that was the one that I found the most curious, the the one that, um, uh, what was his name, Catherine Theophile. Yeah, it, yeah. Theophile. Because that was a test. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that just... Every time I've ever watched a game in Europe or or even a, a FIFA game, um, that's just clearly always given. But uh, then on top over- of that, it's like the comments from UEFA afterwards have been, "Oh no, it, we didn't see anything to overturn that." So, what, like, just what? Where's the consistency? I, that, that was that was the thing that VAR was supposed to bring. Yeah, it's 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 so it's so strange, and um, obviously the the. The worrying thing is, I obviously don't buy into into any of these conspiracy theories that there are UEFA against City because of FFP, that kind of thing. Um, it's, I mean, it's obviously complete rubbish, but there will be people who think this plays into that narrative. It's it's it doesn't at all. They're just very curious decisions, and I couldn't understand it. You use the word curious there in a very interesting manner. Did I? <laughs> oh, okay. Very curious decision with this uh, with this agenda chat. I've been watching Sherlock Holmes recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, Richard, I mean, in the stadium, this is one of the criticisms of VAR. Did you have any idea what was being given at any point? No, well, the on, there was only one where we got the VAR check flashed up, wasn't there, for a, was it a potential penalty. And I'm pretty sure that they didn't flash up on the screen that they were doing the check until after the referee had made the decision because he'd already sit at a corner. The referee had stood for ages already blown his whistle, the linesman had moved to allow the corner to be taken, but then they made a substitution. So the referee had clearly already made a decision at that time, but in the stadium, you had no indication that there was a penalty check going on. And then it comes up that the decision's been made. So even just ones like that, like where the, some kind of communication between the, um, you know, the staff who are responsible for getting that decision up on the board ASAP or the referee communi- in the, communicating that decision to his team, however that side of it works, there's, there's something missing. Um, because it- I'm not going to lie, I, I didn't go to the game on, on Tuesday night, I watched it on TV, and even on TV, the commentators were basically saying, we don't really know what's going on. The pitches that were being cut mm. to was basically a referee stood on the pitch mm. not doing anything, so being talked to. So even for the viewer at home, there was not a lot of information about what was happening. Well, I think that that's the one where it flashed up on the screen was a strange one because there was two penalty checks. There was there was the first incident where Gundogan broke into the box and the defender took him out, uh, didn't win the ball with the header. He went down, the ball got cleared, and then there was the Aguero where he stood on his foot. So they, they did two reviews, so 
I mean, they can't make it clear when there's one review, so two, two back to back is, is, <laughs> yeah. is almost hopeless. I mean, just on those incidents, John, were either of them penalties for you? Um, I thought they were fair enough to not be overruled. I thought probably probably Aguero was, but I didn't think it was a, a disaster to to not overrule that one. The same with Gundogan. I thought le- less of a penalty, but could have gone either way. Because uh, per- personally, for me, I wouldn't have given the Gundogan one because he had a little check to see where he was, and then kind of like knew the challenge. So he kind of invited it. But the Aguero one, I thought, was was stonewall all day of the week. He he, he stood on his foot and tripped him up. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a penalty. Yeah, it, it was a penalty. But I just think, you know, I, I think of of when we've the what we've seen so far this season, I've seen worse penalties than that not overturned. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't think it was the worst. One, uh, I was getting tired of knots in here trying to explain why I didn't think it wasn't. It was a penalty, yeah. But it's it's but, not as bad as the David Silva one that wasn't given at Bournemouth. Yeah, exactly. So you know what I mean. But the, the one that really I, I could not understand was the handball. Um, just but I just feel I think just think it's terrible for the, the the fans at the ground have to go home and rewatch the game to to know what happened. Richard, what's the point in having it if if a we're not going to use it consistently and b we're not going to communicate what's going on to people. Well, there isn't one, is there? The, the, the consistency is the key point. And you'll know, um, I, I can't sort of uh, be revisionist on this. I was very, very pro-VAR pre-it coming in. And I've Still been... Still um, Not fully. I, I'm not pro-VAR in its current use. So I, I'm very much pro the theory of VAR. But it's, We're not implementing the theory of VAR. No, but, no, but, the, no, but there's... It's not being used to... It's either... It's either too precise or like not precise enough. So like the handball stuff is um, not precise. It's You're going to say that's not. It's too precise because of the Gabriel Jesus goal disallowed against Spurs. But then it's not precise enough because the one wasn't given on exactly. Tuesday. So, so it's sorry, too inconsistent. I, I, I've it's, done what I, I've no, also tied myself in knots. It's the, a good host. That's what that's what happens. A good host ties guys up in knots when when they're probing the argument. You a say. good host asks questions that the panel can't answer, <laughs> and then you just get dead air. Um, I was trying to think of one of the offside ones. So what I'm trying to get is either too fair or not or or not fair enough. So the the goal too fair is a very interesting concept. Right. Though. So the goal against Spurs that was disallowed for the handball um, was not fair enough because it's an it's an over interpretation of the rule or it's an over application of the handball rule because there's no intent there the player who I know you did this to death after the game so I won't just re reanalyze it but the law wasn't applied as it should have been it's just applied because yeah it hit his hand so it's all, it's it's unfair in in its application and then you've got like the offside where Aguero's toe is offside against Spurs and then we're out of the Champions League because of that and it's it's not fair because it's against the intent of the law. See what I mean? Or maybe maybe they're both too but fair. Bo- but both of those both of those broke the laws as they are written, and VAR over. T- well, but, but, but the Spurs, the, the handball one didn't, did it? The handball one didn't well, break the law we, as it's written. We discussed this, and we're not really sure. So well, exactly. So you. <laughs> so well, I mean, another example is if, if you take the the uh, European Super Cup, where um, the goalkeeper's off his line, and the goal the penalty stands, even though he's not on the line. You know he's he's um, a couple of centimeters off it, and the the way for ruling is he's he's not blatantly off the line, mm. whereas these offside decisions are so tight that you can't they can't be detected they're not blatantly by offside. Well, not yeah, and they can't be detected detected by a a, a referee's assistant. But it, because we've got these computer systems, we're we're going to decide that we're going to give those decisions. The intent of the laws are being lost, aren't they? That's what I was trying to get at in a rather muddled way the intent being lost and we're applying things that yes they are correct to the letter of the law and to a point I guess that was always inevitable because you can't have a video system that brings consistency and then say well the referee has discretion on how offside something is or how handball something is so maybe this was always going to be the disaster that it's currently proving to be but yeah it's I, I'm still I'm still for a workable VAR but I Maybe this is the pain we have to go through to get it there, but I am accepting that at the moment it doesn't work. And I, I mean, I certainly don't have the answers as to how it gets there. I thought it'd be fine, so <laughs> clearly I don't have the answers. Uh, John, will City be on the receiving end of a good one at any point? Soon? Yeah, of course they will. Um, it doesn't feel just, like they have been. Do you know what I mean? It, it doesn't. And um, the, well, I, th- I think there's only one decision gone City's way. Like so the retaken penalty. The retaken penalty and. Even that I thought was a farce, to be honest with you. And nobody cared. It was it four nil at the time, yeah. so 
Um, yeah, it will. I mean, look at, you know, Spurs were singing VAR, my lord, and then suddenly that's all gone a bit sour for oh, them. Oh, how that bit them on the backside. Yeah, yeah. so I, I just think it's un, unpleasurable for anyone who sort of suffers under it. Um, but then, you know, you, for all this decrying of VAR, you saw on Monday night um, a terrible decision by the linesman um, in the Arsenal-United game that was overturned. And that's probably the first example we've seen where a, a really stinking decision has been corrected right by VAR. Yeah. I mean, I would say that was the second decision in his favour, personally. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've, I've brought a question forward from, from Ask the Panel. This is from Steve O'Brien. He actually sent it a couple of weeks ago after the Shakhtar game, uh, but I've been kind of sitting on it until the next VAR chat came around. Uh, perhaps the main reason I couldn't get too excited about the Shakhtar match is that, thanks to VAR, I felt I couldn't celebrate a single one of our goals until I'd seen the replay. Just how much of the spirit and joy of our game is being sucked out by that very feeling, Richard. That's what uh, that, that's from uh, Steve O'Brien. This is, um, as somebody who was willing to die on the Provar Hill before its implementation, this is the hardest bit for me to sort of um, admit, really, because I was convinced that that wouldn't happen because I was I thought the emotion of watching your team score a goal is always there. I would be lying if I said that I haven't had... There's been a couple of goals, mainly uh, games that I've watched on TV, so I've not really had it at a home game. The emotion still takes over. Um, But there's been games where, you know, the angle's maybe a little bit more deceptive on TV or maybe you can't see the left-back who's playing on side because he's not quite made the camera shot. And there have been... um, I think one of the goals against Everton. You text me. It was it was the goal City conceded. You text the the, the WhatsApp group we're in and said this is this is going to go to VAR. And then it looked, then he was clearly onside. So no, there was that one, but there was also one of the goals that we scored where I thought he's offside, and I, I did hold back from from celebrating it. And so I did the initial sort of yeah, and but then held back where normally you know it'd be a bit more sort of fist pumping and a bit more of the adrenaline going. Um, and by the time you've waited a few seconds, of course, some of that does wear off because that's how it works. Um, but the it's the the second Tottenham game, the the home game this season that has done that to me because just like last year, I completely lost it at the Etihad after we won that game, and then we didn't. And it's just the crushing feeling. You've you've all said it on shows before. It's not like having a goal disallowed. Because we've all made that mistake. You celebrate and you f- you haven't seen the flag, but that's gone in seconds, and you just have to put up with the other team jeering you. But then now it's like the other team have scored a goal. Like the psychology of it is so different because you've accepted it's the goal has been celebrated maybe for a minute. Sort of Spurs against Leicester. Spurs yeah, Spurs huge. went. Spurs thought they'd gone to to uh, nil up, and then suddenly the two one behind because of the swinging momentum that it gave. Yeah. The the one last season, the the Champions League one, is one of my all time worst moments as a City fan because it was the peak and then the trough. We went from being through to out in the space of one incident, and it was just ludicrous. Um, so maybe you know if if it's ever going to work, you, I suppose you're always going to have that element because the decision will always have to be checked, and that will always take an element of time. Um, but that is that is probably the biggest problem. If you ever start losing the emotion, or regardless of what you think about it, if the majority opinion that's coming through from supporters is that they're losing the emotion and it's it's changing the experience for them, then it has to be binned. This is one thing where you have to listen to supporters, um, and, and you know, regardless of being pro it in theory or not, I always want supporters to have the best match day experience, experience as possible. As, as you know, PR as that sounds, it's. While we're on referees and decisions, John, um, Guardiola was not happy about that yellow card. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen... Like, you know when he's angry, and that was that was an angry Guardiola stare, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was wondering whether whether it'd be like a, a player and he'll, he'll try and take um, a couple more yellow cards and get it out of the way in the group Early. stage. <laughs> and, uh, so he doesn't carry it on. How many know. is it in the Champions League? I don't know. Uh, it's three up until the quarterfinals. Does it accumulate for managers in the same way as well? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I think it's, I think it's. is it in the Premier League? I think it's five yellow cards miss a game like so, a player. Of course it is, yeah. So if it, if, it if, the, if Shakhtar had been the last game, he might have thought, do you know what, I'll... Uh, I'll take a book in and the next the, couple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> miss that one. <laughs> Never thought that. What a genius idea that is. Um, let's let's talk about some of the positives of, uh, of City's week uh, because um, somebody who was on fire at, at Goodison, I thought, John, was uh, Riyad Mahrez. Yeah, um, he's started the season really, really well. I mean, we've we've seen it with other players in the past. Bernardo's probably a classic example where it just takes time to adapt to being part of Pep's City. Um, and he... He had his moments last season, but it wasn't his. You know, it wasn't a, 
it wasn't a great season you would expect from a, a club record signing, but this year he's really taking it on. And what's I, made what's made him so look so good though recently? What's he doing that's different he, to last season? I think he's working harder. He's making more intelligent runs. I think he feels more comfortable. I mean, it was an interesting start that they mentioned in the match today that only Gundogan made won the ball back against Everton more than Mares, and possibly what that's not something you would have associated with him last season. He was perhaps someone who would you know not not work as hard and, and fight for the ball back as as you see from other forwards, particularly Bernardo last season and Raheem obviously. And Aguero does it too, and Mares has really been doing it this season. And on the back of that, it's given him confidence. You know, he has got great skill. We saw it during that Leicester title-winning season. We saw it at the Etihad. I mean, that goal mm. he scored was absolutely superb. Um, I mean, he's got the most ridiculous drop shoulder. I mean, it was the, the, the goal against the, Brighton. The best bit, no, yeah, the, the best bit of the week was that ball he put across that Gundon hit the bar with. Mm. That that was a this outside of the left foot round the defender to to put it on a plate for somebody to who should have scored. Yeah, it's incredible. I think to me, to well, I suppose it's it's one thing really with a couple of sub points that have been really noticeable about him. Um, it's the general being in tune with the team now and the things where I think you really notice that it's his decision making and his timing so I mean I think anybody having a serious conversation about Riyad Mahrez even last season would never have doubted his quality as a player it was I think to me it was always about how well does he suit this team the amount of times that he'd missed time a run for a De Bruyne through ball when De Bruyne was fit those two had a serious misconnection last season and I think there were times where you could see De Bruyne was really frustrated playing with Mahrez um, and the amount of times where he would feed a ball for De Bruyne and just roll out a play because he'd misjudged De Bruyne's run and obviously with, with other teammates this season and Everton is the example so far because I think it was by far his best performance in a City shirt um, you look at the timing of when he was releasing the ball from the first minute because his shot, you know, he, he, he judged his run. He, he judged, obviously, he didn't score, but he, he released his shot. Perfect timing. And then the amount of times he played that ball either through the middle or down the right where it was just released perfectly suggests that he is, he's worked out the flow of the team and is a little bit more in tune with them. And then with that comes the decision-making. So I found myself wondering, that ball that he put across for Gundogan last season, would he have taken a, a touch before he plays it across? Would he, have, would he have dreamt in the middle of last season of playing that with the outside of his of his foot? Would he have gone for goal instead because he was, he was desperate to impress because I thought that was one of his problems last year? Um, Did he put Sterling through with that wonderful... Defense splitting pass where Sterling slid it just wide yes, at, at Goodison. Was that was that a Mahrez pass? Um, just everything he did. I thought. I mean, I th- it wasn't just his best performance in a City shirt. He was the best player on that on that pitch in that game by by a distance. And once you get into that level in the City team, you've you've cracked it. And of course, I'm sure we're going to see games from him where he's not De Bruyne, so he's not going to be world class every single game. But if if that's the Mahrez that we can expect, then he's a sixty million pound player, and he will he will play more often than he doesn't. Perhaps not the second name you'd go to for someone who I thought was uh, was part of the reason City won at, at Goodison, uh, but Edison was I thought was was brilliant at Goodison Park. Yeah, he made three really good saves. Um, I think Everton. Uh, another stat was Everton had more shots on target than at any time during Guardiola's time at City in the Premier League, um, which is slightly. Um, disconcerting, but Edison is, you know, we generally think of, talk about him in the terms que- of his the question, passing. And the stuff. questions about him are always: Does he save enough shots? And the truth is, City don't face that many shots. No, and and generally the way that City play with their high line, um, when an op- opponent gets a chance, it's usually a, a very good chance. So, I mean, that was what Bravo really suffered from. Big, um, Goodies and nightmares. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but they, you know they. What was it four shots on target? I mean, four goals. I mean, he, 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 he did. He did. He wasn't brilliant. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. But, um, but yeah, Edison made made. Uh, I thought the one against the way he closed down Calvert Lewin was kind of classic Edison in that he's, he's understanding very, he's, and he's very quick, the game. isn't he? Yeah, uh, and just made it so hard for him. Uh, and then, and then the other one was the full length say from Mina. Um, but again, chances coming from. 
uh, dead ball situations. It's, uh, it's it's a worry. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the the defence in front of him, Richard, because Everton's goal came <laughs> through. One? Well, exactly. <laughs> Everton's goal came through some not very good clearancing from uh, clearancing. That's a new word I've just invented. <laughs> um, from uh, we're going to go with it uh, from uh, Fernandinho. Uh, yeah, it was poor, wasn't it? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that it was all quite as the disaster scenario that it was being made out to be the defence. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not been great, but of course it's not going to be great when you take great players out of it. And Emmerich Laporte is a great, great defender. John Stones is a very, very good defender. Um, and they are probably City's, still City's best centre-back pairing. But you do get so, into a situation where if you've got one fit senior centre-back and you're playing a defensive midfielder there and you've not had a, a, a senior left-back available for quite some time and you've got an, an attacking mm-hmm. midfielder there who is now being kind of converted into a left-back and has to be judged as a left-back because that's where mm-hmm. he plays, you're in a situation where you're kind of asking for trouble. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, it definitely... Um, begs the question now and it's easy said with hindsight but it was said at the time begs the question about summer recruitment this this should have brought a defender in um, I know it's easier said than done you need a very particular defender to play with uh, to play with this team um, but maybe they could have done a bit more there um, Fernandinho has been pretty good in that position I don't for for one botched clearance that can happen to anyone how many times did company do it in his career at City in big games you think of the one at Anfield in the 3-2 defeat there in 2014 that kind of thing can happen to any player and I don't take that as an issue with shape with the communication it was a botched clearance and so that to me is not an indicator of um, of a problem the bigger problems are um, when you see the team getting done by the same move repeatedly and the one that we have at the moment is near post at corners so that that to me is a bigger concern, and so I'm not. This isn't like a rose tinted thing, or you know, I, we clearly do have a problem at defence that we're going to deal with until Laporte is back. But I'm not quite sure we've got the crisis that Gary Neville was making out because Fernandinho made a bad clearance. I was going to ask about this though, John. I mean, how much is City just kind of getting through till Stones is back now? Because because he, he's due back after the international break. It's one more game. Yeah, I think they are. Um, I mean, I've. I have to slightly disagree, Richard. I, I didn't think the defence was great at all against. Oh, well, I, I mean, I didn't say great. <laughs> no, I did. I, I thought it was. A, I thought it was poor. I thought it was. You know, it's, it wasn't city standards that, and Everton could quite easily have uh, got something out of that game, and uh, and and that's not that's not the city side we've seen for two years, and it, and it came from uncertainty in the defence. Otamendi, I think. His last three games, he's been done with this. Like Delefeo did him, and with this sort of flick on the outside of him, goes past him, and he dives in. He started going back to that diving in thing, which mm. he got out of his game for 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 a couple of years. And it's it's a it's you know Stones has has had two injuries already this season, muscle injuries, and they got. They, I suspect they'll probably be careful with him and not rush him back this time. But if he goes, you know, Laporte's out until the new year at least. Stones is is due back, but if he's out again, it's not it's not a great it's pairing. Not ideal, when they, is it? You, you think after sort of November December time, there's some big games coming up. Then we talked on last week's show, Richard, uh, about City keeping Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero happy because of of there only being one starting berth for a striker. Um, it's going to be. It looks like it's going to be a bit of a challenge because another start for Jesus, another goal, and it was a pretty good goal as well. Yeah, it was. Um, he's doing all right when he comes in this season. He looks confident. I mean, he's hitting the back of the net, which is the, fir- the first thing you want from a striker. But obviously, there is now modern football so much more to a striker's game required. Obviously, Guardiola is very particular about what he wants. Um, I think Jesus is hold up play. I think he's he's continuing to be really good with his back to goal, but that's never really been his, been a problem for him. Some of his flicks now and just the, the confidence that you see oozing through him when he's doing sometimes a little bit of showboating, but it's all sort of out of necessity. It's never for the sake of it. It's like he's, he's always beating a man or um, laying the ball off. I think he's looked really good. And then De Bruyne putting the ball in the box for him, he's, he's not going to miss, is he? Um, or, you know, very, very rarely. But if he played 
as many games as Sergio Aguero, if you compare them on a game-for-game basis, would you think that Jesus is going to score as many goals as Aguero across the season? That's the question, though, isn't it? And I the mean, answer is... I mean, surely the answer would be no, because Aguero's a much better player. So how do you bring Jesus in more regularly? Well, this was the interesting point, John, because Aguero last season was generally starting the league games and Jesus was starting the Champions League group games. It's, it, it might be the other way around this season. Does that indicate that Guardiola's more interested in the Champions League? Uh, no, I don't necessarily th- think that. I think he's 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 got to respond to Jesus' comments about wanting to start more, starting bigger games. Um, I mean, it's, it's a, even at the expense of dropping the club's greatest ever goal scorer. Well, he's not going to be around forever, uh, and if Jesus has a long term future, which he should have, and also bearing in mind that you know what, what we're looking at for Aguero to one, maybe two seasons. So they're going to be bringing in a new striker and they don't want to be bringing in two new strikers. So, you know, Jesus is a very, very good player. Um, he's, he's suffering next to one of the greatest Premier League players of all time. That's his That's, problem, though, isn't it? That, that, that is his problem. Um and, and Pep's has to somehow keep him happy and that's I think that's what he's doing. And, and you know, like Richard said, I think he's looked he's looked really good to see he look really fresh looks confident um and he's getting the goals so it's going to push aguero in, in response so i think it's all good we saw what happened last time jesus pushed aguero for for a response and aguero became even better than he than, than we thought he possible uh, another player that fans have been crying out to see a bit more john came on at the end of the of the zagreb match for the last few minutes phil foden he fans have been desperate for him to be in the team uh, does that little cameo with the goal on his wrong foot Excite you as a as someone who can as, as what Foden could do, or does it frustrate you because of what Foden could do? Well, yeah, yeah. You've said he said it all in the question there. I mean, I would have started him. I thought it was his one chance in recent weeks to obviously apart from the Carabao Cup to to start a game, a big game, um, because of, you know Zagreb, uh, this should be beatable with a a decent side and and with no De Bruyne. Um, I thought it was a real opportunity and. I don't know what's. I don't know how many how many opportunities he's going to get over the next few months, uh, and then you start getting into January when the transfer window op- opens and people will start talking about him going out on loan. Um, Which isn't going to happen. Well, it, it's not at the moment, but if, if Foden's not playing, even he will might start thinking. Do you know what? I, everyone else is overtaking me here. The Chelsea, Chelsea lads are playing every week. Um, Mason Greenwood's playing every week. I, I, I'm, I'm just not getting a chance here. So he might, he he might just think, you know what? I, it's not at that stage yet by any means. Um, but I'd like to see him play a, a little bit more. Richard, are we impatient, or is it fair that he should be in this team a bit more? It's both. I mean, we are as a supporter. You are definitely impatient when you want to see a particular player. Um, Foden is obviously. As a youngster, City fan, talked about for a long, long time, and who we have seen how good he is, you are bound to be impatient. Um, but it's not just that. I think there is definitely a cause for him to be playing in this team. I don't think anybody, if you saw that he was starting a game this week, starting the game this weekend, you wouldn't worry about him, would you? You wouldn't worry that he was not going to perform or that he was going to let the team down. Um, I think there have been there's been the odd game where he's not particularly been standout. So I think it was was it Cardiff he started at home to last season. Leicester, it, I think it was. Leicester, sorry, it was. Um, and I think if I remember rightly, that one he wasn't particularly brilliant in. Um, but it was that will still have been such an invaluable learning experience for him. And it is going to get to a point where I'm fully with this idea that the best place for him to learn is City rather than sending him out on loan. But at some point, the only way he's going to learn how to play in a match is by playing in matches. And football has changed now where 18-19 is not as comparatively old as it used to be to be starting Premier League games. Footballers now cost more when they're younger to buy than they do when they're older. You pay more for the youth and the promise than you did for experience because it's become more valuable to have a young player. We've got a perfect one for our team sat on the bench. Now, the problem is the team isn't crying out for him, is it? We've got 
that, that his position it's is... It's that horrid catch-22 yeah. that he's in, though. His position is more than amply covered by world-class footballers. But if we want him to get to that level, because I think th- there's no doubt, obviously we don't know what happens over the next 10 years of his career, but anybody who watches football can see that kid has got the talent in him to do it. The rest comes with, let him deliver. I think it was um, Gaz of this parish um, tweeted, I think before the game, saying he's, he's games where we've got, sorry, weeks where we've got two games a week. You've got to be starting him in one of them now. And yeah, I think there's a mixture of impatience, but I think it's it's well-earned impatience at this point. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Now, there were exactly three years between Angelino's final appearance of his first spell at City and the first appearance after his return. He started in the 2-1 EFL Cup win at Swansea on the 21st of September 2016, then left for Mallorca, Breda and PSV Eindhoven before rejoining Pep Guardiola's side last summer. He's not the first to have had two spells at the club. I've been looking at how some others made their return in recent years. They always say that new signings take a while to settle in, but when a new signing is someone who has previously played for the club they've joined, it could mean they settle in far quicker. For someone like Angelino, who was both sold and bought back during Pep Guardiola's reign at City, perhaps that's even more true. He knows the club, he was in Netihad many times, he trained with us in the first first season. Yeah, of course he's good. It's been clear for a while that Guardiola's systems can take some getting used to. So maybe Angelino will find his feet quicker for having been coached by the City boss previously. There are many details, how you defend the set pieces, attack the set pieces, control uh, the players up the pitch, and in many situations, play outside, inside. There are a lot, a lot of things that it's not in one day I have I got it. So we need time, and as much possible. That's why Carabao Cup is in perfect competition for us, you know, of course to try to win it, but... You know, to play the players, don't play regularly, play for the rhythm, for know exactly what they have to do. Even then, though, it was a shock City went back in for the defender. Guardiola explained to me why they made that decision. He made incredible in, in Eindhoven. We bring him back because what happened with Mendy, two seasons injured, so we have just Sinchenko, so we cannot forget we play two seasons without a fullback, left fullback, and uh, we decide to come. It's, you know, we know his quality up front is... Uh, You know, he's an incredible player in the final third, he's so clever, so he played good and he's he's doing well. Angelino's departure in 2016 is a little different to some others who left and then came back. The defender was still a youngster and in the process of graduating from the academy, but he returns as a senior pro. In the past, it's been the first team players that have been sold when they've often not wanted to leave in the first place. I didn't actually have a choice. I was happy playing for City. I never, like I said before, I wouldn't, I didn't want to leave. But it wasn't an option that I had. City were in a um, bad situation, and the money they got offered was hard for them to refuse. I remember when in the car on the way down, I was actually crying because I didn't want to go. That's Sean Wright Phillips speaking to the podcast a few years ago in July 2005. With City desperate for money and the club's finances tight. Chelsea offered £21 million for the winger and then manager Stuart Pearce just couldn't say no. But Wright Phillips couldn't get a sustained run in the Chelsea team and three years later new City boss Mark Hughes spent £8.5 million to get him back. That was a great feeling because I always said to the City fans that before I hang up my boots or retire I will be back and that's always been in my head that one day I will return and just driving up the road it, it actually felt like I'm on my way back home. Players returning for a second spell at a club doesn't seem that common. But for City in the noughties, there was another big example in Paul Dickoff. After being sold by Kevin Keegan, he was re-signed by Stuart Pearce later down the line. The striker explains how he originally ended up leaving Main Road. Kevin had kept telling me that I'll get my chance. I just said to bide my time, I'll get my chance. And he named a team against Notch County, which was a team of fringe players. And I still wasn't in the team. 
So I went and seen Kevin the day before it and said, look, what's what's happening? Everybody's getting a chance, you're not giving me a chance. Is it personal? I was working hard in training, I felt fit and I felt sharp. And Kevin just kept saying to me, you'll get your chance, you'll get your chance. Wouldn't say anything else, you'll get your chance and that chance never came. Dickoff told the podcast that there were blockages to his exit as well. Throughout that year, um, he then told me that if a club came in for me, he would let me go. I found that various clubs had come in for me, but he didn't let me go. And when I eventually signed for Leicester, um, he didn't want me to go there, he wanted me to go to a League 2 side. And I've had this conversation with Kevin, so I'm not speaking at a ton. I was told off other people at the time the reason he didn't want me to go to Leicester because he knew I would do well. Despite all of this going on though, the striker still wanted to fight for his place in the team. I still didn't really want to leave the football club. You know, I loved it there. I had a, a massive affinity with not just the fans, with the club, the people who worked there. I spoke to Stuart quite a few times. Once I knew that I had the chance to go back, um, you know, people say you never should never go back and, you know, looking back, possibly it's right, but there's no way I was turning down that chance again. Dickoff left in 2002 as Leicester spent £150,000 for his services. He came back to Haunt City in the following years, scoring a penalty at Eastlands for his new side in a 3-0 win, before doing the same for Blackburn a year later. Four years after he left City, he rejoined on a free transfer ahead of Pearce's final season. He failed to score, though, having struggled with injuries throughout. I would have regretted it more if I hadn't. I'll be sitting here now thinking, why didn't I go back? You know, that was a bit unfortunate. I knew Stuart brought me back for as much as what I could do off the pitch as on it. It was a new manager at City that did for Dickoff's first spell, and the same happened to one of his teammates at that time too. Ian Bishop was on his second period at Main Road when Dickoff was on his first, and Bishop knew the writing was on the wall when Howard Kendall took over. He was the man who had originally sold the midfielder years earlier at Everton. Howard, what it was, I think... When he came back and I'd said to Lakey that, it's been nice knowing you. He went, no, it couldn't happen, couldn't happen. But, you know, I, I had a feeling. Howard had let me go through no fallout from Evan. Me way through to the first team and Evan was blocked by tons of players who he brought in when he took over the job. The story goes that once at City, Kendall had his eye on Mark Ward at West Ham. Their new manager Lou Macari got Trevor Morley and Bishop in exchange. I spoke to Howard after it. I spoke to Lou Macari about what went on. The club won either money or, in that case, Howard wanted a player. And Lou Macari told me afterwards that he didn't want Wardy to leave. And by sort of saying no, when Howard said, who do you want? He thought if he said me, the deal would be off because Howard wouldn't let me go. And... Uh, as we know, Howard did let me go. Bishop had a long career at West Ham, spending nine years at Upton Park. By this time, Harry Redknapp was in the dugout, and the midfielder had fallen out of favour. I felt I should have been playing, and he had me on the bench. I think 23 games that season, and I'd only got on the field three times. And I said to him, I'm 32 years old, I need to be playing. Um, if I can find a club, would he give me a free transfer? I would then give up a testimonial year, which was massive. Could have got a lot of tax-free money, but... The thing that was important to me was to play. I wanted to play for West Ham. I'll be honest with you, I wanted to stay there, but I wanted to play. City, meanwhile, had been through some major changes. They were in the second tier fighting against relegation, and Joe Royal was the latest in a long line of new managers. I was actually out in London, my wife sort of called me, she needs to come home now. She always said that anyway. <laughs> I never normally listened to her, but... When you've had a phone call, I think it was Mick Maguire from the PFA, who was one of Joe's best mates anyway. I phoned Mick, he said, Joe wants to speak to you. I went, Jesus, City. I've got to go, you know. And I've said I wouldn't have left West Ham for any other club. The situation at Main Road wasn't looking good, but Bishop says he wasn't bothered. I didn't care what division it was. I knew they were on the way down. I think there was five games left. I phoned Joe. I drove straight up there. I think they were playing... Port Vale in the reserves. I met him at the stadium, agreed everything straight away. And then I phoned Harry and told him that I'd signed. It wasn't a proper transfer, it wasn't the right way to go about things. But he obviously wanted to argue about it. What I said is too late, it's done. Bishop would go on to be part of the team along with Dickoff that won promotion at Wembley in that famous game against Gillingham in 1999. Alongside Wright Phillips, they all played their part in getting the club back to the top flight. There are plenty of others who have had two spells at City as well, stretching back for generations. Angelino is just the latest to add his name to that list, and supporters will be hoping he's able to find his feet quickly and get back into his stride.
Hi, this is David Bernstein, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. A look there at some of the players who have had two spells at City. Now, uh, you know I like doing this. It's time for a little surprise quiz. It's time for a quick quiz on players who have had two spells at City. Yes, that's right. A quick quiz on players who have had two spells at City. The rules are simple. You know how it works by now in these uh, surprise quizzes. Six questions, pick a number, one at a time. You'll get a point if you're right. Uh, no handovers, nothing like that, and it usually ends in a tie-break that I haven't written. So, uh, six questions. I'm gonna, John, I'm going to let you go first. Would, what, pick a number. What number would you want? Um, uh, you've probably gone for your hardest question first, haven't you? So I'll go for number two. Number two. <laughs> okay, where I put my hardest question. Uh, number two. Uh, which team did City sell Dennis Law to before he joined United and eventually returned to Main Road? Torino. He's correct. 1-0. Richard? Uh, I already sent a whitewash here. Uh, I'll... I will go where John was scared to, and I'll take number one, please. Okay, which player who had two spells at City, one in the 70s and one in the 80s, also had two spells at United in a career where he played for 25 different clubs? <laughs> don't know. <laughs> Just don't know. Brian Kidd. Not far off. John, you seem you, you uh, know is it. Is Peter Barnes? It is Peter Barnes, but no bonus point, I'm oh. afraid. So that's uh, still 1 0. John, pick a number. Four. Number four. In what year did Paul Dickoff make his debut, for, his first debut for City? First debut. Do you know this? Uh, I got a reasonable guess. I think. Uh, well, no, well, not not a complete guess. Reasonable guess. I'll go for. 96 is correct oh. uh, I'd have gone 97 so he uh, he joined uh, exactly 10 years ago, later as well in uh, in 2006 so uh, Richard you need this one what numbers are left uh, you can have number 3 5 or 6 5 number 5 which goal in the 5-1 demolition of United did Ian Bishop score was it the 1st 2nd 3rd 4th or 5th uh, got a 1 in 5 chance if you don't know the fourth? Nope, he made it 3 0. He scored the third. John, you've won. Thank you. But uh, still one more question. I knew that one as well. Which uh, which number do you want of. Uh, 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 what's left? Uh, three <laughs> or six? Three. Three. Uh, what was Sean Wright Phillips' squad number when he left City in 2005? Yikes. Uh, when he left? It's going to be in the 30s, isn't it? No, it's going to be in the 20s. Going to be in the forties. I'm giving nothing away. Uh, Twenty-nine is correct. Oh, what? <laughs> really? Yes. Three, three nil. Richard, it's can the you, only one so far I'd have got. Can you uh, can you salvage any dignity with uh, question no. number six? Uh, how many different clubs did Paul Dickoff score for when playing against City? Two. Is correct. Leicester and Blackburn. Yeah. And this there was was it Leicester when he could not wait to take the penalty. <laughs> When he scored, the, they were both penalties. Oh, they, they yeah. were both penalties. I remember one where he, pretty, he did march to the ball and got booed by the whole stadium for how <laughs> desperate he was to score it. And this is the one time when I actually did prepare a tie-break question as well, can you believe? So I'm going to throw it in and there anyway. Ball quits. Uh, does, yeah, it, <laughs> does, does anybody want to hazard a guess on this one? How many days did Sean Wright Phillips spend at Chelsea between his two spells at City? Um, I would go for a thousand. Yeah, I was going to go so. You can get 1,001. Richard would have been closer to <laughs> 1,138. Well done, everybody. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Right, now that the fun and games is over, let's get back to the serious side of things. Uh, Wolves to come on uh, on Sunday for City. Um, Richard, Kevin De Bruyne wasn't fit for Zagreb after that uh, win at Everton. He might not be fit for this. How much of a big loss is he for, for this sort of game? Well, it's a huge loss for any game. He's, the form he's in is currently, I think he's better than ever um, he's better than he was in the 100 point season which is saying something but he's just kicked it up a notch he's the absolute driving force behind the team and then the sort of weird contradiction to that is that City can cope without him because they're full of quality it's just not quite the same so without him I don't I don't fear the game anymore I don't particularly think that we have less of a chance of winning but almost paradoxically, we are still a better team with him. We will win better with him, I think. Do you risk him knowing that there's an international break to come? No, no. If he's, if there's any doubt at all about his fitness, no. Because I would I would back almost any combination of 
the players that the attacking players that we have at our disposal, um, I would back them to beat Wolves currently. Um, so no, I, I absolutely wouldn't take risks with them. I don't think we're at that stage of the season yet. I don't think the trailing Liverpool by five points at the moment is that disastrous. I think it it, it could get there, um, but I don't think it's quite that disaster yet. Um, so no, I'd Mahrez in form, Bernardo Silva, David Silva, Aguero, Jesus, Sterling. It's all right. You can it? even call on Foden. I, I've I've no worries without him, but I'd much rather he was there because he's sublime. I thought it was two tough games against Wolves last season. Even I, I thought the home game was made better by the fact that they had a man sent off pretty, you know, midway through the first half, so it kind of eased the pressure a little bit. But. Do you expect similar this season? They've started quite badly, but they have just had a last-minute winner in the Europa League. Yeah, um, and they know how to play against City because the year before the the cup game they caused plenty of problems as well. So, yeah, um, the, yeah, they've, they've got good players. Um, it's a bit strange to see them make such a, a poor start to the season in the Premier League. Is that Europa League, though, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is, isn't it? Um, I, I obviously, I think they'd be better off with with De Bruyne on the side but you still think the City would have, have too much quality but I don't think it's going to be an easy one I don't. I, I think um, I think it'll be a tight a tighter game than we're used to at the Etienne Is this the sort of game we were talking about him in the first part Phil Foden is this the sort of game where that little bit of an unknown quality could be the could be the difference because as, as good as Foden is he is still for opposition teams he's quite an unknown factor in City's, in City's lineup. It could be I I, I I just thought that of the two games this week that um, Zagreb was the one for him. I, yeah, that he would be more likely to play a European games, possibly. But you know, Wolves are quite physical. Um, they, they they might try and bully him out of the game. He, I, and it could be completely wrong. He could start on Sunday. So, but I I just I think perhaps Gundogan and David Silva are more more likely starters. David Silva's definitely a bit of a brute as well when he needs to be. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Richard, City fans have been talking about this a lot recently. How true is it that opposition teams, when they're struggling in the league, raise their game for City? Everton seemed to do it. Norwich definitely did it. Well, that's just true of teams that come up against the most valuable team to beat in the country, isn't it? I think... Um, because there's, there's always that sort of feeling where it's like, oh yeah, well obviously Norwich lost to Burnley because you know why would why would they beat City and then lose to Burnley? But you know you know that kind of feeling of inevitability about it, that of typical course, City but, sort of thing. But that's the that's the reality of being the best team in the country over the last two seasons, and you know not just the best team in the country, but a hundred point season and a ninety eight point season. That getting any points from City is a huge huge deal for any team because they are points that teams don't necessarily bank on they are points that quite apart from the scalp of you know being a supporter and, and being a player the, the scalp of beating City must be it must be such a buzz we've been there we know what it was like to beat Mourinho's Chelsea when we were the only team in the season to do it we know what it used to be like to beat United when they were the best team in the country obviously heightened by the fact it was a derby um, so you imagine for Norwich newly promoted beating a team that's hardly lost over the last two seasons of course you're going to raise your game for that. Um, and they are points that your opponents are unlikely to get over the season, so you're giving yourself a huge advantage. So I think it's only natural. I don't take that as a particularly typical City thing. I think you could look it's a at... a compliment, if anything. Yeah, look at Sheffield United versus Liverpool. You tell me they didn't raise their game for that. They did. And um, So when uh, when when one of City's goalkeepers is going to chuck it in, his, uh, in their own net when they're playing against City? Uh, It'd be nice. Well, yeah, hopefully sometime soon. It, it would be handy, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, I you know I'm sure Wolves will raise their game a little bit for City. But the the good thing that we know about City is they've um they've got the quality to deal with it. There's a lot of talk about a lot of teams look at how to possibly beat City, and there's the the kind of school of thought of sit deep and get your chance, or press them high and put them under pressure while they've got a bit of a dodgy defence. What do you kind of see Wolves doing? Because I, I've always seen you know Nuno as having a kind of a plan for these sorts of games. Yeah, he's he's more of a sit tight and play on the break. Um, they've got. Um, I, I mean, I think they'll look also to dead balls, trying to get corners, free kicks around the box because um, they've got a bit of height. Exploit City's weakness. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's that, that that's something to be aware of. Um, you don't. Whichever way you do it, you, you're probably going to end up 
getting beat. But I think the way that Norwich did it was was the best way to go for it. Try and be brave on the ball. Try and keep it. Uh, try and break the press. But if you get it wrong, then uh, it's a disaster, isn't it? Well, I mean, I thought Brighton were good a couple of weeks ago, but they were one 0 down inside sixty seconds. City, made... City like an early goal at home too. Yeah, yeah. But they just they they made one one pass, one error, one nil. So yeah. Um, Aguero or Jesus for you, Richard? Aguero. It's a tight decision, isn't it? Yeah, only because I feel bad for Jesus. If we're just going, <laughs> if we're just going out and out quality, and what I think is best for the team. I mean, I won't be, I won't be gutted if Jesus starts, but I think the best option is Aguero because he's one of the best strikers in the world. Fair enough. Right then. Well, uh, let's get some predictions on the line. Uh, congratulations to Jack Gorn on last week's podcast for his correct prediction of a 3-1 win for City at Goodison Park. That takes the total for this season on the charity bet to £135. We've got one more chance to add some money into the kitty before the international break as City hosts Wolves on Sunday. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single with the winnings going to the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester. Uh, John, I'm going to start with you. What, uh, what score have you gone for? I've gone for 2-0. 2-0 is 5-1, uh, to one, so 50 quid if you're right. Richard? City 3 0. Uh, is also 5 to 1 and uh, 50 quid if you're right. I've uh, kind of hedged my bets with the Wolves goal, so I've gone 3 1 and 9 to 1 and uh, 90 quid if I'm right. You must be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, check out begambleaware.org. The Blue Moon Podcast Best Bits. I turned in an opportunity to sign for Chelsea prior to that. Um, and I knew that they were keenly interested. And it was a good move for me. It was a very, very good move for me because. I furthered my development of my career. Um, played under some good managers, Howard Kendall, Peter Reid. Peter obviously sold me back to Blackburn, but I did develop, I think, better as a centre half in that period. And had a great time there. Just a great football club. Um, I've been, I go back quite a bit, but uh, it, was, it was part of my career, which I would never change my career. Somebody asked me that the other day and said, No, there's no way I'd change my career. Change some parts of my life, but that's. That's the same for everybody, you know. But um, Mel Machen had signed me. He got sacked thing after 10 days and we went from strength to strength with Howard Kendall. And, you know, I think we were fourth bottom when I got there and when I left, we were fourth top. So, and I'd play the year in the first season. Uh, but it was great, it was great. And, and I mean, I, I have loads of friends who are Man City supporters who, you know, I still look out for the, the, the result. You know, it's... Man City, Blackburn Rangers, that's the three clubs that I look out for. Bolton's in there as well as, but, you know, I had a good time at Bolton as well, but Man City is straight, you know, right up there, because obviously they're the one at this minute in time who's the highest in the, in the Premiership. Of course, like you, you mentioned there, Mel Machin was, was sacked after a very short time after you'd been there. What, how, how was a new signing do you react to that? Well, <laughs> I didn't have any much choice, to be fair, you know, it, it wasn't as if I could do anything about it, but new manager comes in to start fresh. I'm at a new club. It settled in quite quickly. Uh, Howard Kendall had a different way of trying playing me. He wanted me playing a three rather than me in a two. So, you know, from going from a back four to a back three, with me in the in the one that would challenge for all the challenges, and Alan Harper was sweeper. It, um, it suited me, and it developed developed my game because latterly in my career when I was playing for Scotland, I was the I was the sweeper in the in the three when we played the three at the back for Scotland. So it was. Um, it was part of my development. And you developed a bit of a reputation for a few goals as well. Yeah, because I could break forward from the position I was playing. If you're playing a two, it's no natural for a centre-half to go foraging up the pitch. But because I was playing in the three and I was a further forward in the two, I could forage up the pitch and I had legs. I did have good legs to do it sort of thing. So, yeah, I got my fair share of goals. And uh, there was one, I mean, special one against United. I scored against United with the one to my little, my Gaza-esque, as I call it, when I flicked over Neil Webb, played the one-two with Quinny and stuck it past Jim Leighton. But another important goal for me as well, as was playing for Man City in FA Cup at Burnley, having played for Blackburn. And we win 1-0, and I scored six minutes before the end. So a lot of sweet moments for uh, playing for Man City. Hear the full interview on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Hi, Colin Hendry. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. 
Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Ask the panel time. Get your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram, so check that out, Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, first one comes from uh, KC, who's often on the show. Uh, Richard, I'm going to throw this one to you. Uh, given Guardiola's comments each time he's been asked about Bernardo's tweet, should he be the one who needs educating more than Bernardo? Well, I think educating equally. Um, we have a situation now where... Bernardo's initial tweet suggests that he would put that out there because what nobody is saying, nobody is suggesting that Bernardo has done anything malicious. Nobody thinks that Bernardo is racist. That doesn't mean that the actions that you make can't be racist. You don't have to mean them for them to carry that intent. So the the issue is the education because there's no malice at all. Um Clearly, the barriers of his relationship with Benjamin Mendy allow that joke to take place between them. Serious misjudgment, sharing it wider, fair enough that offence is caused. Um, and it needs to be dealt with. I think that the emphasis does have to be on education. But is it right that the FA get involved? Uh, yes, I think so, because the FA have a duty to protect the game, to protect the players that play under them, and to have a pos- to try and have that positive influence on society. Um, that is what they're doing here. I think, in many ways, the debate that this... I will, I will come back directly to the question, but I think, in many ways, the debate that this has sparked is very frustrating, because it is unearthed uh, what I would say is a lot of ignorance in people who are just... Um, I wouldn't even necessarily say that it's people blindly jumping to Bernardo's defence. I think it's just um, without sounding too patronising. I think it's just people who don't understand the issue. The you know the comparisons to so to bring it back to Pep. Pep said about this kind of joke has been made about white people millions of times. Fine, yeah, of course it has. De Bruyne has been compared to the Milky Bar kid. Like that, that did happen. There aren't centuries of oppression and racist tropes and stereotypes being used against white people. De Bruyne just looks a little bit like the Milky Bar kid. This image looked nothing like Benjamin Mendy. The image is in itself quite problematic, and some people might just say, oh, well, it's just a black face. But then when you combine it with now knowing what we know about some of the advertising campaigns that this company's used in the past, they are full of racist stereotypes and tropes. I believe at one point um, they had to remove a spear from the advert is like how much more can you be making a nod to certain stereotypes that prevail um, or that have been used in very damaging ways throughout history. Um, For Pep to come out and defend it, nobody, again, I I think nobody is suggesting that Pep is racist. He does have a responsibility between between the tweet, the reaction to it, and then the reaction to his initial comment. He has a responsibility to try and understand why that is causing a problem. You understand why he's come out and defended Bernardo? I understand because why it's his player. One hundred percent, I understand why he's defended his player, but the defence is wrong because he has used it instead of saying Bernardo is sorry for the offence that has caused. He's written a letter to the FA. Um, however, we all know his character and know that he's not racist. Instead. Guardiola's doubled down and he's hammered the point in and made it even worse. And the really, really disappointing part to me, and, you know, I'm no PR professional, so I know that stuff has probably gone on behind the scenes that we don't know about. City could have come out and say Bernardo misjudged it. His second tweet where he said it was just a joke between friends was also misjudged. He's seen the reaction, understood the need for education and has volunteered to go on a on a race education course. If you've not been exposed to that in the past, like Guardiola, I don't think, has ever had to deal with a situation like this in his managerial career, I don't think. So, okay, he's made a mistake. If you learn from it, I mean, I I also have questions about why a man of his age and influence would make this mistake, but if you learn from it and then you can use that for, for good and be positive and maybe go out and talk about your experience of this and how I got it wrong... You can do so much good with that from one mistake. So, yeah, I, would, I have no problem if a punishment comes either their way, but it has to be a punishment with the emphasis on education. It has to be, otherwise nothing gets better. Um, John, and, and the club need to acknowledge it. Do you expect a ban or anything like that? Um, if it had happened on the pitch, that would have been... If there was a racist incident that happened on the pitch, then it's a minimum six-game ban. Um, this is this is not that situation, obviously, so... Um, it's a bit unclear exactly what the penalty will be. I think you know what Richard said brilliantly there. Um, 
I think one of, but one of the key one of the key things to pick up on that is that no one's accusing Bernardo of being a racist. Just that his his actions were misjudged, and that I think he, he certainly would expect to go on an education course. Whether there's a ban to come on the back of it, I'd, the FA don't seem to be too clear on exactly what the what the punishment's going to be. We'll kind of kind of see how it goes when because it's not being heard till next week, so we'll we'll kind of see how it how it goes then. Um, Mr. Aguirre asks on Twitter: Is Fernandinho now City's first choice centre back alongside Laporte? He's been fantastic for me. Uh, he's he's not above stones for me just by virtue of not being a natural centre back. I still um, I sort of get the feeling that this is a opinion that's a little bit on the wane at the moment, but I'm still very much pro. John Stones, I think he's had a granted he was he didn't cover himself in glory in the Norwich game, but then neither did Otamendi. But he's not suddenly turned into a bad defender, and I feel like a lot of players their reputation grows by being out injured, and I feel like Stones people are actually forgetting a lot of how good he is. is um, the injuries though, John, I think that part of the thing is that, is that he's been injured, had that one game which went badly, the worst performance by the side all season, he was involved and then has gone again. So it's been two months and we've seen one performance which was not great. Um, Fernandinho was the best option alongside Laporte when he's back. Do you take that? And no, because I think I, I think he's still got so much to offer in, as a de- defensive midfielder. So you go with your centre backs, and Stones Stones has been largely very, very, very good. Um, mm. So there's not really a huge issue there. Um, when he's not on it, he's not in the team. And there's Otamendi there for for that. Otamendi, you know, Ot- what to not be on it and then be in the team. <laughs> <laughs> well, Otamendi, Otamendi's been good for <laughs> for three seasons, and he has a he has bad days. Laporte had a bad day against Spurs, and City went out of the Champions League. Stones is perhaps also damaged by the mistake for England in the summer, um, in the Nations League, which was obviously a, a pretty big one. And he still, some of that reputation still follows him around from when he was younger and he used to make those mistakes. Um, he hasn't been making them that frequently over the last two seasons. No more, I think, than than any other player, really. He's been a very important part of City's two title winning seasons. Um, and I'm ready to see him play a full season because we've seen him dip out at the end of those seasons. I'd love to see him play two full, play a full season um, and be a key part of a running. I, I would trust him, um, but... See if it's fit, basically. Yeah. Um, finally, John Rogers asks on Twitter: uh, Are the changes to the away ticket points system working? I'm getting to more away games than before, but I've no chance of catching up with those that, in my opinion, have been manipulating the system for years and have no chance for the big matches. I've had a season ticket since the 70s. Uh, Richard, I'm going to ask you this one because you go to a few more away games than I go to. My last one was in uh, 2009. I think you've been to a few since then. Yeah, I mean, but on that, mine have. Um have dipped quite a lot as well as um, you know, responsibilities um, have gone Changed. up. Have, have gone up quicker than my wages have. <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't get to as many away games as I used to. I think the away ticket system did need a shake up um, because I used to find it, you know, from being honest, it was patently unfair that having done two seasons where I was picking and choosing my games far more than I used to when I used to go to most of them. Um, I was still above people who um, who had spent those two seasons traveling the, the length and breadth of the country and at times Europe. Um, they were I, I was still above some of them in the pecking order. And so now, like last season was the first season since two, that since the Rooney overhead kick game that I've not got a ticket for the derby. And as gutted as I was, and I mean, I really was because I love going to that game with my dad. But the reality is, if somebody's been to more away games, I mean, if somebody's put it in and gone to Oxford away in the League Cup in the third round, if they get a ticket above me, I can't begrudge that. So the system, in theory, was fair in allocating points and having, I think, a hierarchical system that ensured the more games you go to, the bigger games you get to. But it was allowed to roll on for so long that people who have spent years going to every game nobody could ever catch them up. Um, so it did need a shake-up, but I'm, I'll be honest, at the risk of ducking the answer, I'm not, the also, don't know, isn't I'm not in a great position to answer for this season. I'm not sure the way it's worked, where you now don't accrue <laughs> ticket points for away games, only for home games, I think it is. I'd, I'm not sure that seems sensible, but I wonder if it's a throw-forward to a bigger shake-up and some kind of ballot kind of system in the future, whereby 
the points become a bit more of an irrelevance, to be honest. I think the problem is there's no actual real fair way to do it. There's always well, there's always going to be somebody who loses out. In... Once you change a system that has benefited some people for so long, uh, and that isn't a dig at anybody who's annoyed at this, by the way, but you are always going to annoy somebody. So it's, you know, I, I do have a bit of sympathy for the club. I'm not sure they've done it the right way, um, but something needed to be done and you will only... There's probably not a right way to it. do it either, yeah. so let's uh, let's be fair on that one. Right, well, that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast, but if you'd like to hear a little bit more than me, Richard and John, we're all chatting about the players that we had on the back of our shirts when we were younger. Go and check that out on this week's Patreon bonus show, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast. That's available for everyone who backs $2 per month. It might be an international break after Wolves but we'll be back to discuss all of the talking points from this weekend's match special thanks to my two guests in the studio Jonathan Smith thank you and Richard Burns thank you Richard this is your last podcast as an unmarried man so uh, congratulations congratulations and best of luck Uh, thank you very much David just to confirm because as you know my wedding is on a Thursday which is record day is the patron special going to be my speech I know the whole show is going to be from your (laughs) wedding so uh, brace yourselves for that one next week Uh, the podcast will be back next Friday Uh, we'll see you then take care Was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. The stones, is it the injuries? What is what the injuries? Sorry. <laughs> you were completely daydreaming. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't understand the question. <laughs> no, you were daydreaming. That's the problem. I wasn't. I was listening. Um, is it the injuries to John Stones why people don't, why, why, his, why, uh, why his stock has fallen? Right. Gotcha. <laughs>